Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dirt Talk podcast. And today we have Mr. Dylan Taylor, uh, also known as One Art Trades. He is a young kid. Dylan, how old are you? 20. You're 20 years old. Yep. He's 20 years old. He's still here while I'm doing the intro. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years old, just started in the construction industry, has been working in the construction industry for about a year now, out of high school, going to school for construction management. And we talk about his lessons learned out in the field, um, lessons learned through overcoming the adversity of not having a hand or leg while being a laborer in the construction industry, which I think is freaking fascinating. Uh, so hopefully you learn a little bit, uh, especially if you're if you're a younger person, this is probably one of the best podcasts you can listen to for someone young wanting to get into the construction industry. Mm-hmm. So enjoy the interview with Mr. Dylan Taylor. Okay, well, uh, today we have Mr. Dylan Taylor. Welcome. We're happy to have you. Um, you, let's explain what you're doing right now. You're in college at the moment. Yep. Two-year program? Correct, yep. For? Construction management. Construction management. So, going to Southeast Tech. It's a two-year trade school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, in the construction management program. Sure. Why, uh, what does that look like? Like, what do you do in that program? So there's a variety of classes, but uh, this year, I think they're, if I heard right, they are combining residential and commercial and civil on one program. Whereas I think all the years or the previous years, you're able to pick civil or residential, but now just kind of combination of all. So this semester I'd, have a uh, construction basics for class, and that's with the lab after. And then there's um, what's another one? Let's see, there's print reading. That's you know learn how to read blueprints and plans. And then I have heavy equipment class. Sure, that's basically just a two and a half hour lab, just running equipment. It's pretty badass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went to construction school, and there wasn't a single skid steer in sight. No, no, hell no. It was all just Here's some math. Deal with it. Yeah. That's all we had to deal with. A civil engineering, though. Yeah, it's, it's way stupid. Don't <laughs> do it. Um, why why did you decide to go to school? So last so last year, um, let's see, at the end of at the end of my senior year, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Well, I was sure, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to college or not because I have goals, you know, to be an equipment operator, obviously. Mm-hmm. But after you know talking to my bosses and seeing what they had to say about college and whatnot, they said you can go because I was thinking of going to college, uh, different college for heavy equipment. But after talking to my bosses, they said you know you could go to college for heavy equipment, but in reality that's going to be kind of a waste of time, waste of money because uh, you can. If you work with us, you can, you know, work your way up to running equipment while making money. Sure. And if you think of some, and if you think of going to college, why not go to college for construction management? Because, you know, I communicated to them that eventually I want to be like a foreman or an estimator or something like that. And uh, they tell me, why not go to college for construction management? And looked into it. And uh, one of one of the guys at our company, uh, I think he oversees the techno- the GPS technologies. Mm-hmm. He went to Southeast Tech. So I talked to him a little bit about it, and he highly recommended it. So I looked into it. Back in uh, November of last year, applied and started in the, started my spring semester just to get generals out of the way because either it was sit around and collect unemployment because you know, we don't work winters, yeah. sit around for a whole winter and do nothing. Or do something with your time. So I decided just to get a semester out of the way, get my majority of my gen eds out of the way. And now I'm actually in the real construction management program where, you know, you're learning about everything out in the field or, yeah. How is it um, compared to actual field experience? Has it been helpful? 
Like, is it is it is it helping you out? Is it providing additional insight? Because you were just out in the field. No, oh. for the first your first job out in the field this past year. Yeah. So, I worked for Dunnick. Yeah. Uh, from the time I graduated high school in 2020, all the way through till November, and you know, get laid off. And I worked for them this summer. So sure. I was able to learn quite a bit on the field. Yeah. And so even though I'm only about a month into college. How does it, uh, I mean, how does, see. how do the college classes and what you're learning compare to the field? Like, is it helpful to have the field experience with what you're learning in college? Do you find it interesting? What's the experience been like? Oh, absolutely. But even though I'm only a few weeks in the program, um, I can't say much yet, yeah. but I am able, or I am starting to, you know, read plans, um, you know, learn how to, but also learn how to, you know, lead people and manage people as well. Sure. You know, we've gone over that just a little bit so far. So that's just the beginning. It's a pretty, pretty sweet gig. I mean, you're learning how to do that kind of stuff and you're getting the field experience while you're at it. So do you go back to, back to the field in the summer then? Yep. What month is it? September. So you still got a while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, where where do you live at? Wilmer, Minnesota. You're in Minnesota. So when you get laid off, there's nothing's not the only option. You could just go ice fishing for four months. Yeah, that too, or snowmobiling. Snowmobiling. Or, I mean, there's always uh, an option. You can plow snow. Plow snow, sure. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, why, uh, what got you into the whole construction thing to begin with? Since a kid... Um, I was just surrounded by heavy equipment a little bit. My my dad, my previous dad, because I was adopted back in 2014. Sure. And so my dad that raised me, um, he had a he has a plumbing and ex, or plumbing, heating, electric business, but he also does a little bit of uh, excavation on the side as well. And so he had like a, a case 580. In the summers, I'd go with him on digging jobs and just riding the back with them all day. And that's what really sparked the, just the, the love or the passion for the industry. You know, ever since I was a kid, I, I was just like, man, it'll be pretty sweet to run an excavator someday or a dozer, mm-hmm. you know, just, just a lot, much larger sand, sandbox once you become an adult. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So you've always known that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, in, like elementary or high school, I, you know, I had different interests. Um, I think one point in early high school, I was thinking of going into law enforcement, but but every time, uh, but you know, every time I pass a job site, you know, coming home from school or whatever, that it would just, that passion or that spark would always come back to me, mm-hmm. and I would, and uh, junior year of high school, I, I figured, you know what, why not? just go into the industry because I already know a little bit about it. I was surrounded by it as a kid. And I think that's just my biggest passion is to run equipment. And yeah. What, uh, what draws you to it all? What's so appealing about it? The industry or running equipment? Both. Oh, one thing that draws me is, um, there's tremendous opportunity in this industry. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you put in, put in the time, you put in the work, you show up for work and, you know, you show that you're, you're there for more than just the paycheck. I feel like you could, you know, go a long way in this industry, mm-hmm. especially there's a lot of operators that are going to be retiring in five, 10, 15 years or so. So there's plenty of opportunity coming my way or anybody my age, you know, that's in high school or college or, or whoever. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity and just, I mean, the big equipment has always been appealing to me. Just hog and dirt seems, you know, it's always appealing just to watch, but it's even, it's even better just doing it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm no, I'm no operator yet, but, uh, you know, I do ask for seat time here and there. In your like program classes at, in school, how like are you? Are, is everybody your age? 
Yeah, for the most part, you know, 19, 20, 21. Uh-huh. But you have a few guys that are mid-20s. Um, I think one or two of them might, you know, they might have found, uh, they might just kind of, I think they may have got burnt out or just didn't like their job and they figured go back to school and try something different. Sure. Because they are, I think we have two late 20. Yeah. yeah. I could be wrong. The the whole point you made about the opportunity is, <clears throat> I think, um, extraordinarily valid. And we just talked to Sal about this the other day too. It's everybody, uh, sure, there's this labor issue. There's a lot of people retiring right now and that's a problem. We need to fix that. But that's also an enormous opportunity for a young person that wants to get in the industry. Because if you, if you bust your ass, if you're one of those great folks, you can accelerate how quickly you can you can accelerate your your path through the industry a lot easier than in previous years and generations arguably oh, absolutely yeah yeah i one of my foreman's this summer he was telling me like i would ask to <clears throat> we're digging a pond or something like that on this one big roundabout job we had and uh we had a 336 loading trucks and every now and then i'd ask my foreman hey can i give her a shot, load a few trucks and he'll let me. And uh, the operators would always, always let me. They'll be like, sure, have at it. But uh, my phone always remember, he's like, you know, 10 years ago or 10, 20 years ago, that'd be a completely different story. You would have to be on the ground for five, 10 years. Yeah. Just busting your tail, you know, holding the shovel until you got an opportunity. Sure. So, yeah. And there's still, there's still value in, you know, busting your ass on the ground. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, with with so many people retiring from the industry over the next few years, you shoot, you can go from on the ground to in a seat pretty damn quick. And that's how I feel like that's how most everybody that's young has done it is, you know, some guys left or something like that, or some guys too drunk to show up to work or whatever it is. <laughs> and they right. hey, we need someone to run the dozer and then shoot their they become a dozer hand. That's the fun of the industry is there's so many different paths, so many different opportunities and not a whole lot of rules. Like mm. in other worlds, you need to serve, you know, X amount of years before you qualify for the next position. Whereas in construction, you kind of make it up based yeah. on how much you're willing to work and then just dumb luck a lot of times. It's not as traditional. No. How did you get the job that you had to begin with? At Donick? Yeah. So junior year of high school, I... uh Let's see, one of my friends, her dad owns a civil engineering company, just a small one in town. Mm-hmm. I asked I asked him one day if I can job shadow him or one of the guys in his company because I was originally thinking of going for civil engineering because civil and it's construction. Um, and I job shadowed one of his field guys and um, it was a pleasure, but... At the end of the day, I realized that's not the path for me because there's so much paperwork and most of the time he's in the office. It was just that day he was out in the field, so I was able to make a make a full day of shadowing him. Yeah. And uh so we ran around and saw a few jobs. But but uh no, and then I so Brian Bollig, he's the founder of so the president and founder of Bollig Engineering. So that's the company who I shadowed. And so I think the next day or next week, I emailed him saying, thanks for the opportunity, but I don't think this is the path for me. And then I asked him, uh, do you know anybody at Dunnix that I could talk to about shadowing? Because they have all the big equipment. I passed I passed a handful of times their shop. It's just full in the winter. And um, I asked him, I was like, could you get me in touch with him, with somebody at Dunnix? He said, let me see what I can do. And so week passes. Gets back to me. He said, uh, "He said, yeah, uh, Jason Dunnick wants to get in touch with you. He's looking forward to talking to you. I was like, Jason Dunnick, who's that? And he's actually one of the owners of this company. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, me being a junior in high school, I was just like, you know, my heart starts beating. I'm like, <laughs> geez, meeting up with ex- executives already. Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, called him one day after school and Told him, told him uh, I'm interested in shadowing somebody or just checking out the company. So, pick me up, 
one day after school and uh, gave me a tour of the shop. And I don't know if he showed me any jobs yet. I think it was April, so they didn't they hadn't start quite. They didn't they didn't start quite yet. Yeah. And uh, they just showed me a shop and and uh, yeah. Since then, I was just like, yeah, I think I'm gonna try to work here. So he said, uh, I wasn't 18 at the time. He said, once you turn 18, you can uh, apply for a job here, and we'll get you started as a labor or whatever. I said, sign me up. Sweet. So right after high school, I started, uh, let's see, it was like mid-June. Started uh, started with them. First job I was on, it was just for a week on a big grading job, like 20, 20 minutes from the house and running sheep's foot all day. And so it was pretty cool, but pretty monotonous at the same time. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it was, it was fun. Finally, it was, uh, it was re- a really rewarding feeling because... You know, uh, that first week, you know, you dream of being in a piece, in a piece of equipment or working for a construction company. Or I, I had that dream since I was a kid. And, and finally getting there was pretty cool. And Yeah. Even if it is a sheep's foot. It yep. is funny, though, when you start out and, you you know, equipment's equipment. I remember I would run this, uh, I think the first piece of equipment I ran when I started out was this stupid, like the little orange broom. Oh, yeah. I ran that quite a bit, too, yeah, <laughs> later that it, summer. It, it's just a stupid piece of equipment. And it, it's important, you know, cleaning up and everything like that. It's actually pretty slick. Um, but they would have me just drive it from point A to point B, not even broom anything. But I thought I was so badass because I was 18 years old driving this broom around this neighborhood. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am an operator. This is pretty cool. Um, but Sheep's Foot... Uh, not not the most exciting, but someone's got to do it at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Compaction is important. Probably the most important thing on a job, at least. Yeah. If you screw that up, it starts to get pretty yeah. expensive. You got to pass your compaction tests. Yeah. So you just spent you just spent a whole summer basically doing whatever you were told. Basically. So first week was running sheep's foot, and then second week I was just kind of bounced around on this one of our milling crews or something like that, and then. The next three weeks, I flagged, and that was a kick to the balls. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather yeah. run a sheep's foot than flag. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was challenging. First of all, because you know you gotta accept being isolated. Because uh-huh. it wasn't. I was not flagging like in the middle of a town or you know a popular street or anything. It was just a county road, you know, five miles out of the nearest town, and just standing there by yourself and that was pretty hard because I'm I'm an extrovert and so you gotta learn how to accept isolation and deal yeah. with it. Yeah. And another challenge for me was uh since I have a prosthetic leg that was, you know, standing on it for fourteen hours a day, that was pretty challenging. Sure. I mean I was able to like lean against my car or sit down every now and then because you know hour, half hour or so. <laughs> but uh yeah, I did that until Let's see, end of July or something like that for a few weeks. And then uh, they had me get my MSHA certification. And I was in a few of their gravel pits uh, doing their gradations. So that was a pretty neat experience. Three, four weeks or so. And then the last two months of the season until winter hit, I basically just was on uh, either this one big highway job running a rubber tire roller or a brew machine. Or on a on a few other county roads, just running. Um, as far as seat time is concerned, going back to that, is it really just as easy as asking someone for seat time? No, you. I feel like, uh, well, for me, anyways, before I ask, like, you know, one of our extra excavator operators or or somebody, and that's in the machine, I want to try to prove myself, obviously, because mm-hmm. first of all, everybody looks at me, you know, as well, he's a kid, so he's got he's got to earn this ball. So everybody looks at me differently because I'm, you know, that you don't you don't see a person coming in this industry with a missing hand or missing leg very often. And people's immediate thought is, uh, well, he's not going to be able to do as much as we can, or he's he might make excuses because his disability, quote unquote, disability, but. You know, every time I went to a job, my number one goal was to prove myself 
and prove myself, keep my head down and work, and then eventually start asking questions. Because once I started, you know, prove myself and prove that I'm a hard worker and I'm there for more than just the paycheck, that's when I started asking questions and people, you know, that's when foreigners actually start taking their time to really mentor me or teach me what's going on on the job or even give me advice, work-related or life-related. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, what's some of the advice you got? Obviously, nothing's going to be handed to me. Mm-hmm. And that's a given, obviously. But no matter how bad you want to get in the machine, you're going to have to put in the time on the ground, whether it's, you know, um, running the pothole machine or digging around utilities because the excavator can only get like within a foot and then you got to, you know, get in there with a shovel mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, you're not an inch or so from hitting this gas line or something like that. So, so as you mentioned, you are missing a hand yeah, and you're missing a leg. Correct. And that's been since, since you, birth. Yep. Since birth. So that's all you've ever known. Yep. Um, how was, how was that? In the construction industry. Because like you said, I mean, it's construction, especially as a laborer or whatever, or running equipment even. It's a very physical physical world. Oh, yeah. Um, how was how was figuring all that out for the first time? I knew it was going to be a challenge. Obviously, uh, I, did, I knew it wasn't going to be as much of a challenge with my arm as it would be for my leg because as a laborer, you're on the ground constantly on your feet. Mm-hmm. And especially like this summer, um, I was on my feet constantly holding a shovel or something like that. And especially in the hot days, that's when it would really affect me, my leg, because the heat and the sweat and then, you know, it would start rubbing mm. and get sore pretty quick. Mm. And, and so, I mean, I would communicate to my, my foreman, like, Hey, I need to sit down for a minute. He's like, go ahead. And, uh, so that was a challenge, and another challenge was, I mean, certain pieces of equipment were challenging, um, but for the most part, I just figured it out, adapted, adapt and overcome, and you slowly start, you know, the more seat time you get, the better you get sure. as an operator, and the more you know what you're doing. Yeah. And so, I mean, like a skid loader, excavator, most rollers, and uh, brew machines were pretty, pretty easy to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's one roller this summer where it had like the joystick on the right hand, but this little, just this little tiny steering wheel on the left, <laughs> and like the seat, you, it wasn't really. I don't think it, it was either adjustable or it just didn't adjust. You couldn't slide it up much. Sure. And so I'd really have to lean over, and. Like it was just this little steering wheel, but good thing I had that like knob or whatever. Yeah. That helped me steer. But that was tricky. But I eventually got got decent on that to where I can roll right against or right up against like an, an inch or two away from freshly poured concrete. And so it was challenging at first, but after I got the hang of it, I was able to roll straight lines and get pretty close to what I was rolling to. I guess it it probably works against you and works for you at the same time because it's like if you were to walk up on the job site, that's probably what someone's thinking is like, oh shit, like what's this kid going to do? But then once you start working and show it, showing people, it's like, yeah, shoot, I can do anything you guys can do. Yeah, I feel like you'd gain respect maybe a little bit quicker than a normal person would because not only are you working hard, but you're overcoming something pretty significant. Perhaps. Proving yeah. people wrong. It's like, all right, shit, he can hang out. That's that's good to go. Yeah. The, the first job I was on this summer for the first half of the summer. I was with uh, my foreman, his name is Bud, and he was telling me the first day I sh- showed up to a job, like he told me to go move these barricades and close off the road because, you know, the, like a few days later, we're going to tear up this old road or whatever mm-hmm. with the excavator. And he's like, go go move those barricades. I was like, okay. And went and did it. And a few days later, he was, he was talking to me. We we're just having a one-on-one conversation. He was talking to me. He's like, you know, I told you to move those barricades. I was like, oh crap, how is he going to do that with one hand? But then he told me, you know, after he realized that I can do that and, you know, run a shovel and whatnot just fine, uh, he said that's when he gained respect for me. 
And, sure. and so I just do as I told with no question and just have a good attitude about it. And uh, yeah, it, it goes a long way, that's for sure. I mean, that's how, that's how I did it, is if you just shut up and do what you're told, that goes a long way. And you do it well, and you just bust your ass. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple in this world. It is, yeah. Pretty simple to earn people's respect. You just have to just bust your ass for a, a period of time, and then you're good to go after that, for the <laughs> most part. I'm sure, there'll, some, there'll be some salty guys. Right. Yeah. As a young guy... Do you feel like you're able to like ask questions when you when you're in a situation where it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to do or I'm not exactly sure between these two options? Do you feel like in your job experience so far that you're able to ask those questions and get decent direction? So explain that one more time, sorry. Yeah, so you're a young guy in the industry. Um you know, obviously you're going to school, but you've been working in the summers. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, when, you know, they, you know, assign you a task like, Hey, go do this thing. Do you feel like if you don't fully know what exactly they're asking, you're able to say like, Hey, can you give me some more information? Do you feel like those conversations like are happening out there or you're just like, I'll just figure it out when I get there? Oh, I, I definitely ask questions because I mean, as a young guy, people are going to know that you don't really know anything. Yeah. And people want want you to ask questions. You know, my my foreman constantly told me he's like, I want you to ask questions, even if it's the most basic thing, and you still don't understand. I'd rather have you ask questions until you understand it, and I'll take my time to explain it to you until you understand it. Because you know, if you try to do a task or something like that, and you, you maybe know what you're doing, kind of, yeah. Or if you know what you're kind of doing, mm-hmm. but you don't know. You know the full. You don't know fully what you're doing. the The chance of you screwing up. You know, there's there's chance of you screwing up. Sure. And so, if uh, if you ask questions and just say, "I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing," could you explain it to me? If you if you if you're if you're humble about it and you you're willing to learn, yeah, I'll open up to you and show you. So that's what I've learned. Yeah, I've I've learned it's. Uh... You're much better off just admitting you're an idiot than trying to act like you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, sometimes I'll even catch myself. They'll be like, um, someone will say, you, you you know what this is, right? I'll be like, absolutely. And in the back of my head, I'm like, why did I just say that? Because I have no <laughs> idea what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> and then and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm deep in it now. So you try to like fake your way through it. But then the next time you're, you're just like, no, I don't know what that is. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, it, I've been there. It, it's something as simple as that. And I, I've done that all the time. Like, yeah, I know what that is. No problem. But it doesn't get you anywhere because now you're giving up the opportunity to learn and you're trying to act like you know something you don't. And right. I don't know. I've been a lot better off just saying, I've, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, that's humility is one of the biggest things I've learned to practice. Yeah. Um, I mean, just this week. So I, I work with Dunnix during the summer. And then I plan to be with them after college as well. And, uh, but in Sioux, they don't have much work in Sioux Falls. So, you know, I'm trying to find work and no construction company is hiring part time mm-hmm. or the ones that I applied for at least. They all said, no, we're only looking for, for full time help. And so there's one company, it's called Concrete Materials. And so I called them the other day and, and, uh, I was, I was asking if I can meet with somebody to talk about opportunities there, if they have any openings part-time. I was looking at this one position. It was, uh, was Xavier slash Dozer opening. Uh, and so I met up with the Corey superintendent and not even the first five minutes in the in uh, in his office, or we sat down in his office and not even the first five minutes, I'd, I just, I was uh, completely open. I said, I'm I'm no operator. I don't claim to be, but if you give me a chance, I'll do my best to do what it takes to get that task done or whatever it takes. Sure. And he immediately said back, he's like, he's like, that right there is what we're looking for. You know, most operators that have been doing it for a while or or even young guys like you, they won't admit that and they think or they'll say like they can run 
piece of equipment or yeah, they've been doing it this long, so they're pretty good at it. But once they, once they get out there on the job and show them their skills, yeah. they're not good. They're worthless. And so <laughs> that's why I've learned to just practice humility and be open about it without, with no hesitation. And it's gone mm-hmm. a long way. And I actually just got hired for that company. Right so, on. We, because I feel like humility was a big part of that. It, it takes two to tango though. So you have operators blowing smoke saying they can go operate anything better than anybody else can. Sure, that's a thing. And then they get out in a machine and they don't know what the hell they're doing. But then you also have companies saying only, you know, experience, we're only hiring five years of dozer experience. And, and uh, what, like what? Yeah. Really? Experienced people don't exist right now, guys. It's like, why Why are you still trying to convince yourself that this is a, a reality? It's not. You need to go out and take risks on people who maybe don't have the practical experience, but do have the motivation to learn. A lot of times you're going to be way more valuable than someone even that does have experience. It's just, it's Absolutely. funny how companies think that way. Like they don't look for the just ambitious people they're always so caught up and looking for experience. And if you don't have the experience, they're not interested. Okay. Yeah. That's what I've noticed. Yeah. It's really short-sighted, right? It's like, if they've got this amount of experience, they're valuable like the first day. And yeah. Well, it's Quote, like, unquote. But is that necessarily valuable that a year from now? Or I don't know. It's, it's short-sighted, but it's also just like, antiquated if anything else Mm -hmm. like that's how they used to hire but that's not how the world works right now yeah it's like they are also hiring people out of the newspaper too yeah (laughs) yeah and i've i've seen young hungry guys outperform seasoned operators quite quite a bit like if they're hungry and ready to get after it and they want to approach problems in a different way even with less experience they can a lot of times outperform a more experienced individual like you're you're never going to replace experience in a lot of different applications but experience isn't always a good thing at the same time because you get you get fooled into thinking how you've always done it is the best way to do it and you stop looking for better ways to do it essentially mm-hmm. and it's like um like I read a book about uh different war strategies illustrated by all these historic examples and the most dangerous place to be is a very successful nation or army because you get fooled into thinking that you're smart, fooled into thinking the tactics (laughs) you've used in the past are going to continue to get you further. And then that's when you get beat because now you're predictable and now someone can go and squash you with far less resources than you have, which is, it's a dramatic example, but it's the same thing as far as experience, especially operating equipment is concerned in a lot of cases. But then again, what the hell do I know? I'm not an operator. I'm not either. <laughs> cool. He's not either. That's why I don't have much to say about that because I'm no operator. I've been in. I haven't been in this industry. Yeah. In what, my opinion, anyways. What um, What was the most difficult task you had to do this summer? Oh, let's see. So we're we're on uh, the first part of the summer. I was with my foreman, Bud, and. Uh, we had to take out this one inter- intersection. So we had 336, and then we had me, another labor, and the in the cut. Or so we had to take out the old intersection, so old asphalt, and then cut, I think it was like 18 inches of the gravel out or something like that. And there's just utilities. It's just gas line, fiber optic, yeah. fiber optic, just yeah. all over. And just potholing all day with that pothole machine, you know, that big back mm-hmm. trailer or whatever. And and it was, a, it was 100 degrees. It. You guys week. were doing it? wasn't subcontractor? No, it was us. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a terrible job. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was 100 degrees that week. Like every single day, it was at least 9,800 degrees. And, you know, you're covered in sweat by 7.30 in the morning. And basically had to do that pretty much all day or... Or if you got done potholing this utility, then you go to where the excavator was cutting, and you get you know the the MetroTech, you know locate the line, mm-hmm. and it would say like okay one foot six, and then you would have him cut just a little bit more to where you know you're twelve fourteen inches away from whatever it reads, 
And then you pothole with the shovel just to make sure oh, it's yeah. there. Because, you know, sometimes they can jump up or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that week was pretty challenging. Um, it really pushed, I really, or, yeah, I really pushed myself just mentally, but also physically. It was pretty hard on my leg. And, you know, there's a couple of times where I did have to sit down, you know, mid-afternoon or something like that. Just take a 10-minute breather. Or Actually, I think one day I actually had just had to take my whole prosthetic off and sit on a tree just to get or just to relieve my leg a little bit because mm. I was just on it just constantly yeah. and the heat as well. So that was a challenge, but I mean, I got through it and, uh, and my foreman, he's, you know, he always reminded me like, you know, that even though that might be the suckiest job or task on the job, it's still very important because if you, if you're a good laborer and if you can, you know, if you can, uh, detect those before the excavator can hit them. I mean, you're saving money. And I mean, okay, if you hit a fiber optic, that's $10,000. If you hit a gas line, that's, you know, forty, fifty thousand $50,000, depending on yeah. how big it is. And just a shitty afternoon. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't think we hit any uh, utilities that week. So it went well. No, we actually did hit a gas line, just barely nicked it. It was just right on the edge of our cut. Skiller just barely hit it because we we're just trying to cut the edge just straight down. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, it went well. I wasn't one operating Skiller, thankfully. <laughs> but but as we long had as it wasn't you. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. How do you how do you operate equipment without without an, a hand? Because it's like when, you know, thinking about an excavator, for example, obviously there's two sticks. Right. Built for people with two hands. Right. How, how'd you figure that one out? Oh, well, oh, I think, oh, so I think I reached out to like uh, our vice president of operations and I asked him, I was like, do you think I could, before the season gets going, this was last year. Uh, so during my senior year of high school, I said, I reached out to him. I said, hey, do you think I could? Think I can get out in the open yard or open place in the yard and just dig a hole to see how I do with my arm mm. operating to see if I needed, you know, if I need a prosthesis or if I just can't operate that piece of equipment. But I mean, going into it, you know, obviously I want to think realistically, but I had confidence that, yeah, I think I can operate this. Was I good at it? No, but <laughs> I figured it out and. I mean, now I'm getting the hang of it. I, did you see that video I just posted? Yeah. Me running the mini the other day? Mm-hmm. And so slowly getting the hang of it. Yeah. Still don't know real still don't really know what I'm doing, but you know, I it's I'm starting to gain that muscle memory and just because like the joystick is like this. My arm, you know, if I have to swing left or right, I have to hop over to this side real quick mm-hmm. and push. Hop over the side quick, mm-hmm. or you know, put my arm like this and push the joystick or yeah. pull back. Yeah, but it's muscle memory now to where I'm getting the hang of it, and it's not terribly hard. Sure, you know, with with time, speed, and if I mean, it's probably not all that different from a lot of what you've had to do your whole life. I take it, it's your whole life has been figuring out. Well, okay. How do I do this? Right. Just, just problem solving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I when I was uh I think I was in kindergarten, first grade, I think I got a prosthetic arm. I think I wore it for maybe an hour or two. Not your thing. And at most, right after the appointment when I got home, I tried riding a bike. That didn't work. I think I tried a few other things. I was just like, nope, screw this. I think I threw it back in the drawer. And my parents were those parents at the time were frustrated at me. They're like, we just spent the we just spend this money for you to get prosthetic and you just, you don't need it, huh? Yeah. I was like, I do fine without it. And I mean, people ask me today, like, have you ever, have you ever thought of getting like a prosthetic now? Like, cause I mean, now like they're super high tech, you can yeah. put a computer chip in them or they sure. can like, like they will react to, you know, certain muscle groups or like nerves or something like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or it'll move individual fingers. I mean, those are $100,000 prosthetic arms right there yeah, and like, I mean like the Terminator right <laughs> and uh, I mean I've get, I've thought about it obviously but I don't think I'll really need it and plus 
I mean, even if I'm, even if I would get it, the chance of, of it, you know, getting screwed up or getting broken or something like that in this industry, getting yeah. mud in it or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to risk that. <laughs> well, and they, like nowadays, um, wedding rings are a hazard. So I can't imagine what a prosthetic arm would be. They're worried about your wedding ring getting caught on things. Yeah. So right. having a whole prosthetic hand, I'm sure that's, I don't even know what that would be. Yeah. I mean, when I had the prosthetic arm when I was a kid, I mean, it just, it was just weird. Like, it didn't seem like it was supposed, supposed to be there. It was just an extra weight, an yeah. extra obstacle for me. Yeah. And so that's why I just tossed her. I was just like, nope. I, I'd Never going back, huh? Yeah. Haven't even thought about like a sweet hook or anything like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know, I have seen people with those from time to time and it, it catches you a little off guard because you're like, holy shit, that guy actually has a hook. But then you think about it, you're like, I don't know. If, that's probably pretty practical at the same time. I'm sure yeah. you could do a lot with it. I mean, but those guys, like, I, those guys uh, have adapted to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To whereas yeah. me, I have been this way my whole life. Yeah. So. This is I've adapted to this. Yeah, yeah so trying to adapt to something new. Yeah, it's it's gonna be tough. How do you work a shovel with one hand? Huh? How do you work a shovel? It's, I mean, I always just call this my hand. I mean, it's yeah. basically a hand for me. Yeah. But I mean, I probably should uh, get a video so I can show you guys physically. Yeah. But I mean, I just hold it and I have the handle just rest on her here. Works just fine. I really? Mean, I mean, if you ask my foreman. I mean, I was pretty darn good shoveler, and I could out shovel a lot of the other laborers, and that's and that's 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 not my ego getting in the way. That's just that's just me seeing that I was able to out shovel those guys, and my foreman's telling me like, slow down. Like my I had foreman's <laughs> tell me like, slow down, Dylan. Just take a break. You don't have to keep shoveling. Yeah, because because it you know it comes back to. Whatever task I'm doing, I always try to prove myself. Even if I have proved myself, even if I have worked on that crew for weeks or months, and they know my abilities and they know I'm a hard worker, I'm still going to prove myself because that's just my character. I'm going to work, yeah. work as hard as I can yeah. and prove myself day in and day out. And yeah. Do you think, do you, think you have like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Meaning? Because... You missed a, a hand and an arm, or a, a hand and a, a leg your whole life. Do you think you have to prove yourself and show people like, "Hey, I'm just as capable as you are"? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah I'd, I've had, I'd, I've had uh, other guys in the company have told me like, "Yeah, we've had operators ask me like, like, how is he supposed to run an excavator? How is he supposed to run a dozer someday? He has one hand, and and they're just like, he'll show you." So does that just get you more fired up? Yeah, I mean, if I told you, like, yeah, there's no way you can run that. It's fuel to the fire. <laughs> yeah, it's fuel to the fire. Just like, watch me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's, but you know, that's not ego driven. That's just me trying to prove myself and show that, yeah, regard, like, regardless of me missing a, an arm and a leg, I can still work just as hard as you, and do as much as you can, sure. and because. I want to be treated at the end of the day. I want to be treated the same. I don't want to be treated differently because I'm different. To be honest with you, most of the time I forget that I have one arm, one leg because I do everything just fine. Yeah. And I mean, once in a while I'll run into a challenge where I'm like, oh shoot, I kind of need two hands for this. But I make a joke out of it or I laugh, laugh it off. And eventually, you know, either I ask for help, you know, I mean, that's very rarely, or I, you know, adapt and overcome, figure it out. There's there's probably so many jokes you could make. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and they would probably make people oftentimes very uncomfortable, which is my kind of humor though, making oh. people uncomfortable. Yeah, I got a story that I, for you that I told the whole class a few weeks ago. Sure. So we're in uh, my construction basics class, and we're uh, we got off track as usual, and we're talking about like OSHA or like uh, like close calls or something like that, mm -hmm. and I whispered to. One of my classmates, I was like, I was like, listen to this. He's like, oh boy, you're gonna tell a joke. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I raised my hand and I was like, I make up this this fake story. <laughs> and and so uh so the, here's how it goes. I was like, Yeah, a few years ago we were uh my dad and I were we're uh, uh 
cutting plywood or something like that for addition. And we're cutting like two by fours or something like that. And we didn't have very stable saw horses or something like that. So I had to help hold. And so we cut through the wood, but the saw, you know, slipped. And that's how I lost my hand. <laughs> and that's like word for word how I said it. And it was just <laughs> dead silent in the classroom. And my teacher, like it was dead silent for a good five seconds. My, my uh, instructor, Matt, he's like, really? I was like, no, guys, I'm just kidding. And everybody <laughs> just burst out laughing because <laughs> they weren't sure if like, if it was a joke or, or if like it was serious or. I feel like you yeah. scared the shit out of some kids though from a safety standpoint. Like, oh, don't I be have. putting your hand places because this is what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I have. But at the, <laughs> but the other day, I try, to, I try to say like, I was just joking around because um, I like to have fun, but I don't want to like scare those kids, obviously. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I make a, make the best of it, bring humor to it. And I mean, on jobs, I'll, I'll say, you need a hand? Yeah. And, and sometimes like I mean it, but sometimes, but uh, like in those scenarios when I like I actually mean it, my phone would just start laughing. I was like, oh, you're taking it that way this time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, something you need in this world is you need a sense of humor for sure. Oh, absolutely. And you need tough skin for sure. Yeah. And if you don't have a sense of humor, you can't take a joke. You're going to have a really, really bad time. Absolutely. Guaranteed. I can't I can't stand being with guys that just take their job too serious yeah. where they can't, you know, bring, you know, a few funny stories or just a few laughs throughout the day. Because, you know, if you bring that type of culture um to your crew or your job or wherever you're working, I feel like it puts as a a sense of purpose or like a, a want to come to work. Yeah. And just makes work work much more enjoyable. And if you're enjoying work, at the end of the day, you're gonna be ten percent more productive, I feel like, versus if you're just if you just show up to get the paycheck and leave, mm-hmm. versus like, yeah, you enjoy work, you enjoy what you're doing, and you're here to make the best out of it, like you're gonna be more productive at the end of the day. I feel totally. like. Yeah. Um, did you ever have uh, <clears throat> points in time over this past summer where you got frustrated? I had a, I was working with one foreman and I felt like it was just hard to prove myself because yeah, you, know, you know, he still got a lot to learn and especially when it comes to managing people. And it was just hard to I guess learn things from him or or just have a normal conversation, I felt like at times too, because um I mean he was a newer he was a newer foreman, young foreman, and as me, as a young guy, Obviously, I want to know what's going on. I got to ask questions, but also I I got to prove myself. But there's times where it's just just hard to prove myself. I felt like, or just like any everything you you did, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, like that. I think, yeah, it was that. But also, uh, there's things where he could have done better to where you know it wasn't working his labors to death. Yeah. Because I was just going, 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 which other forms would be like, Dylan, slow down, just take a break. It was him, and he just, what's next, what's next, what's next? Yeah. And eventually, I just had to talk to him after work and say, I think I know, I think you know that I have a prosthetic leg, and I think you know that, you know, I'm just a young college kid. And so I need some grace, obviously. You know, I need to sit down every now and then. You know, I know we need to get things done, but I need to sit down every now and then to take that pain mm-hmm. or that soreness off my leg if you want me to be more productive or keep being productive. And I know I'm just a kid, but you gotta you gotta be patient with me. You gotta explain things to me if you want me to do it right and get it the first time. Sure. So that was a challenge. because uh, that's I think that's the first boss where I've where I've had where um I just had there's some just conflict with just managing people or just, or there's some conflict because he, he's not there yet with, you know, he's not very good at managing people yet, but he's young and I had to give him some grace. And so what I was able to take from that is, okay, when I'm a former someday or a leader someday, that's the things that, there's the things that I saw those are some things that I do not want to do when mm-hmm. I'm a leader. Yeah. And and I mean, and the first half of the summer, 
I worked with uh, Bud, and he was a great foreman, but he's been doing it for a while. And the thing is, like, that I liked about him, he's very patient with me, and he was able to make things much more simplified when he was explaining it to me. Because I sometimes, like, I get I overthinks things and get confused easy. And I was able to learn, yeah, I kind of want to be become that foreman that's able to be patient with his guys and bring a, a good culture to work. And then looking at the other foreman, I mean, I need to learn how to give guys grace, but also uh, treat them right and be patient with them. Mm-hmm. But that's the value of those experiences. Is if you didn't go through that experience, you wouldn't learn that lesson. Right. And sometimes it's great working for shitty people. I mean, that's... You really learn how to embrace the suck. Yeah. But also just, you really learn uh, more about yourself, the kind of person you are. But also you learn what to do and what not to do and the kind of leader you want to be someday. Mm-hmm. That's where I really pulled from that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've, uh, the, the guy up in Montana, my friend's dad, he uh, he was one person where, you know, we like busted my ass all summer. Never worked harder in my life. That's just, the one where you had the where you got the saltwater fish tank. Or something yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I busted my ass that whole summer. It was like you know, ten, twelve hours a day, six six days a week or so. And uh, you know, you'd be outside every day, and you'd get home tired. And I'd, I'd watch you know maybe a little bit of TV, like the, the, like the local news or something like that. It was just cable TV. Mm-hmm. There was nothing special. And at the end of the summer. It wasn't good job. It wasn't good job. It was, I, I, you shouldn't have sat around as much <laughs> <laughs> at night. That was that was the criticism. It really? wasn't. It wasn't good job. It was, uh, you know, you were you were up here and you sat around too much. And I'm I'm just sitting there like, like, are you fucking kidding me? Really, <laughs> really? Like, did you not see me busting my ass? I, I was working hard out there. Come on, Man. I felt like I earned that cable TV. No but mercy. <laughs> there's some people you just can't please them no yeah. matter what you do. And yeah, um, you know, trailing from that, uh, if you try to if you try to live your life as a people pleaser and please everybody, you're gonna slowly fall apart. I feel like, and you're not gonna achieve what you want to achieve, and that's gonna start. You're gonna start beating yourself up for that. Yeah. And that's one thing I had to really learn this summer is. Like no matter how hard I worked, you can't please everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody's going to like you, no matter what kind of results you're pushing out. Yeah. Not everybody's going to like you. You can't please everybody. I mean, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow, but you know, it's it's reality, and that's mm-hmm. why I learned. You know, well, it's people pleasing is very aligned with human nature, and like you were talking about too, about not wanting special treatment. We're social animals, and we our our, our survival was based on how many people we we were surrounded by and you wanted to be part of a tribe. And so we've been wired to please others, to serve others, and to not be all that unique because you want to fit in, be part of the tribe, because if you're part of the tribe, your survival odds increase. Mm-hmm. Today, uh, that's not really a thing these days, but no, your brain doesn't know that. And so you're still trying to fit in. You're still trying to be just like everybody else. You're still trying to make sure other people like you because you don't want to be the odd man out. Right. But the funny thing is now, like the most successful people, they go, they, they figure out how human nature works and then they go in the opposite direction. And that's how they get somewhere is they, they go, oftentimes it's in the opposite manner. Human nature pushes you to actually figure things out. And that's one of the like pleasing people. It's you want to do it because that's what your brain is saying. But then you also have to, kick its ass and be like, no, it's, I don't care if this guy thinks I suck. And maybe I do suck. Maybe yeah. he's right. Right. It's a, it's just, there's a always two perspectives to it. Yeah. I don't know. And then it's also, it's like, I don't know what the hell he's going through. Maybe his wife just asked for a divorce. So he's an asshole. Like, right. Yeah. I'd probably be an asshole too if I was going through a divorce or, you know, something bad happened or whatever it may be. Like, you have no idea. And so it's, it's just not worth all, not worth all your time to get bent out of shape about it, right? Or that could it could be that he was raised that way, or sure. he was trained that way. Because yeah, I, I, I just talked to, I was just on the phone the other day with with uh, Bud, and he was he told me that 
you know, the other foreman you had, you know, he was, he was raised that way with, because when he, before he came to work for us, he worked for his dad and his dad is just kind of wired like that. So that's, that's where you got to understand. He's just wired like that. And that's how, how he was raised. Mm-hmm. That's where you got to show grace mm-hmm. in that moment to that person. Yeah. And they, there's that weird thing where, because they got the shit kicked out of them coming up, they need to go kick the shit out of other people. Right. And it's just, it's funny because the generations have changed and now that's, that's not how our generation responds. We don't respond to getting the shit kicked out of us. No. Very if, well. Usually, uh, yeah, if you get the crap beat out of you, you know, the chances chances are uh, of you quitting are much higher than it was back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's call. why, you, that's why you see people leaving jobs and chasing the dollar or yeah. leaving jobs because they're mistreated just one time now versus 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, your operators, no matter what they went through, screamed at, yelled at, called all the names you can think of under the sun. Mm-hmm. They still, you know, embrace the, embrace the suck, grew some thick skin yeah, and just went through it. Yeah. And, and call us soft or something like that. But even like this previous generation, they're softer than the generation that came before them that was going off to, you know, World War II, World War One softer than the generation before that. It's just like, yeah, society's gotten more comfortable. That's just, that's part of evolution. That's sure. Yeah. Okay. If that makes us soft, great. I don't, I don't know. I was talking to someone last night. I was like, you know, the old machines are cool, but I think machines with air conditioning are a lot cooler. Windows and air conditioning. I don't know a whole lot of people that wouldn't take windows and air conditioning over an open cab that sucks. Open cab creates character, as Eric Jumper says. According to Eric, <laughs> according to Eric Jumper, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it does though. Funny enough, I don't <laughs> see him in uh, too many open cabs these days. He's he's awfully comfortable in his machines. Yeah, let me tell you. I, see him running. I saw him in this office two days ago. It's pretty air conditioned in here. He, he, he wasn't building a, character when he was in here. Oh no, he lives a very cush life these days. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that runs a bulldozer with fake grass. As a floor mat <laughs> while wearing Crocs. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen a few of the stories like that. Yeah. He's yeah. pretty relaxed in there. Yeah. He takes his shoes off in the cab. I can't remember the last time I saw him in an OPA cab where it was like clearing trees or whatever. It had to be months and months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we've concluded that Eric Jumper is getting soft. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes. Good. Um, what kind of advice do you have for? Maybe young kids thinking about construction or just starting out in construction. Yeah. Um, Since you're, you know, right in the thick of things. Um, well, I definitely try to encourage a lot of guys my age or high school or or whatever to get in the industry. You know, I tell them, you know, it's not for everybody and you're going to have to work your butt off because things aren't going to get handed to, handed to you. And the only way to get somewhere is to, you know, prove yourself pay your dues, yeah. put in the time and show that you're there or show up to work every day and show that you're there. Uh, not only, not only for the paycheck, but to learn. And uh, also at the end of the day, like I was saying earlier, stay humble because I'm, I've been, I worked with a few younger guys that they think they're hot stuff. Oh, because they got in the loader the other day or mm-hmm. they ran the loader last week in the pit. So the, now they think they know how to, they know what they're doing or or they get told to run the skid loader, go grab pipe from the job trailer or something like that. And now they think they're an operator. They're not. And you know, you're you gotta stay humble at the end of the day because humility goes a long way. Yeah. And yeah, that's my two cents to the guys my age or younger generation, in other words. I mean, in, in fairness, I, I thought I was a pretty kick-ass operator when I was running that orange broom back and forth. <laughs> it's a funny story. I went through like three broom machines one week last fall because, uh, yeah, I just didn't know how to run it right. <laughs> or I, maybe my ego got in the way because I think I wore out the broom core in one my first day because I adjusted the pressure and I wasn't supposed to, but I forgot to adjust it back because uh, there's like this compacted gravel that was on the concrete side so and adjust the pressure but mm-hmm. I uh, wore out the broom core because I forgot to adjust it back and then the next broom machine we got I think 
I blew the gearbox because I didn't stop completely every time I back up. And it was nice. one of the quicker ones too. Nice. The ones that, you know, just haul like 40, 45 down the highway <laughs> if you really get them going. <laughs> yeah. The older ones. Um, and then I got on like one of our nicer, newer ones. I was like, okay, I'm going to treat this thing like it's mine. I got to really be careful now. It's, uh, uh, you know, some some lessons are best learned that way, though. Absolutely. Blowing a gearbox or screwing something up. When you screw something up, you learn really quickly not to do whatever you did to screw things up. Mm -hmm. right. And sometimes that's the only way to learn. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's some of the most memorable moments of the time I spent, short time I spent in the field were my biggest screw-ups. Like when, you know, you drop a expensive satellite radio into a drill hole. And for, then, for example. Yeah, for example. <laughs> and then you try to fish it out with some bailing wire. Oh, yeah, you did that, right? 50-foot deep <laughs> hole. <laughs> and then uh, it's stuff like that. You, yeah. you know, you, you learn your lessons, sometimes the hard way. Yep. And then you get shit for it for two months. Everybody calling you radio or everybody asking you, I was calling you on the radio. Where the hell are you? Right. Just being assholes because they knew I blew up my radio. So quite quite the adventure, huh? Um, so you study, you do your classes, and then you go back to work yep. in May. Yeah. Well, now I'm working through the school year because I got hired at one place. That's right. So, yeah. Would you recommend schooling to other kids based off your very limited experience so far? Um. I'm glad you asked me that. I, uh, you know, I support college if uh, you have a plan of what you're doing, not only to how to pay for college, obviously, yeah. but if you have a plan outside of college. Like I, I see a lot of guys, a lot of people just go to college for political science or you know, like gender studies or some BS like that. I'm sure. just like, I'm just like, how, what kind of job are you supposed to get with that? that kind of degree. Um, and so, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, you know, I support college if you have a plan and if you have a plan to pay it off. Um, and, but the, so far, college has been a great experience because I've been able to uh, meet new people, uh, make new friends, just network, have a good time before, you know, you dedicate the rest of your life to work. Mm -hmm. um, so, and and also, I'm, I'm blessed that the company Dunnix is actually sponsoring a scholarship, so all my school's paid for. That's a good gig. That's so, awesome. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So I'm. That's definitely a blessing for me, but also my family. Yeah. Yeah, but the interesting thing with all that is, you know, you had to create that opportunity yourself. Right. They didn't just call you and say, "Hey, Dylan." You want this? Good yeah, to meet you. Yeah, you want a job? <laughs> right. And do you want us to pay for school for you and hook, <laughs> hook you up? You no. It, it again, things aren't handed to you. You know, I I had to build those relationships, and also you know prove myself that I want something with my life and career. Mm -hmm. Also, just prove myself that I'm valuable, and prove that I'm a hard worker out in the field. And so that's I, that's how I got to where I'm at because. I'd put in the time and build those relationships and connections. Yeah. That's why I try to tell a lot of young folks too. I mean, like I told a few of my friends that, I mean, it was like, when did you invite me on the podcast? Late July, early August, something like that. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And I told a few friends that, like, oh, yeah, I got invited to be on Aaron's podcast. It's, it's uh, super excited for it. They're like, oh man, you're gonna be with Aaron, isn't he famous or whatever? And I was just like, <laughs> don't, don't say that, don't say that, <laughs> not even slightly. And I was just like, okay, I mean, I understand that he has a, a a big a big following on all social medias, but at the end of the day, I mean, even if you are famous, you still want to be treated like you're just a normal person. Yeah. And I don't just because you maybe have a, you may have a following does not mean I'm gonna treat you. You know, I'm gonna put you up in this trophy case or whatever and treat you differently. Yeah. You're still a normal person. I still have a lot of respect to you because how far you've come with the company and whatnot. So I try to, so I try to tell people, uh, you know, these things don't get handed to you. You got to earn them. And like with, whether it's through, you know, 
working hard or building connections, building relationships. I mean, I want to be on this podcast if I didn't meet you back in December, probably. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that was me solely reaching out to you. I was in Northern, Northern Illinois uh, visiting family that December. Shot you a text. I was like, hey, do you think I can come meet it? Uh, or what I say? I was like, can I come meet up with you and just just meet you? And you're like, I don't know how much time I'll have, but I think we can work. I was like, that's all that matters to me. Just if I, if I can meet you and you know, build or just add one more connection to my list or build a relationship, it could take me places. Whether if I need a job someday or need to get in touch with a certain person or or if it's just somebody I need to grab advice from. Yeah. Well, I will say anything, anybody that puts me on a pedestal is making a huge mistake. <laughs> um, that's one. But I, I really admire everything you got going on. And I'm glad you you came out here. Really appreciate you coming all the way out here. I know you have better things to do than fly out here and talk dirt it's a, it's in a Nashville, nice, Tennessee. It's a nice break from school. <laughs> nice break from school. <laughs> yeah. I get that. I mean, school hasn't been terribly hard, but I mean, hey, why not? Change the pace. Yeah, why yeah. not yeah. get out in the world for a weekend or something? If people want to see what you have going on, I know you share a lot online. Where do people find you? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram. One Arm Trades is my tag. And, uh, Appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, LinkedIn, I'm fairly active on there. Um, Facebook, I mean, you can just look me up my normal name. You can find me.